News reports indicate Hunter Biden took the motorcade to an expensive bagel shop this weekend. Reporters, however, were baffled that he got the bagels in a brown bag from a shady guy in an alley. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Well, welcome to the Variety Program. Yes, I it mean, is. We are, we, once again, we dance, we sing, and we entertain. We're a triple threat over here. That was, that was that was a great episode. We got a lot of good feedback, and uh, you know we're going to keep this content train moving. We are, and day. and if anybody asks you, I think we just have a new shorthand for 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 ruthless. I think we just say it's a variety program. It really is a variety program. <laughs> so. We're we're gonna need we're gonna need some ideas. I think from from the fans for mm-hmm. our next uh, song. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> That's well, right. We we gotta well, keep we gotta keep the singing going. I'm a team player. I'm a team player. Uh, I sing the high harmony because I'm a team player. Uh, it's a little right. out of my I saw vocal that in range. The slack. It's a little out of my vocal range, but I do it because you know what? I'm a team player. And Duncan's an alto, like an angel. <laughs> the best part about every episode since his first singing performance, he's tried to qualify his performance for the listeners. Well, all I'm saying for the listeners, all I'm saying for the listeners, look, 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 all I'm saying for the listeners is if they make some suggestions, know that my more natural vocal range is a baritone. Uh, or yeah, you think you're a baritone? I mean, uh, I, I guess you, we'll find you out. You nailed that alto. I'll, I'll, I, just, <laughs> I just want people to know, <clears throat> you know, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you order something, they're like, oh, we don't have that after you've ordered it. Yeah. I don't want that to happen here. So just for the minions, I already suggested he do Annie uh, tomorrow. <laughs> and Michael declined. No, right. No, so doing, I know that's high that. on the list. And, and just just know that it's off the table. I know, man. Looks like you. I, I have a feeling we're gonna get some tweets demanding Annie from Duncan, and, and you <laughs> got to give the people what they want. It's, it's a very simple proposition on this show. Unbelievable. So, wh- so what? So what do we have? Well, so I want to just start off with um, a, another super fan of the program. Um, we've talked about had the high engagement by people, particularly in the media, and there's another one over at the Federalist, Ben Dominich, uh, who had some very nice things to say about the program on Fox. He did. I saw uh, that. That was awesome. So I'd like to thank him for being a, a listener and for the, the kind words, particularly about our game show. Um, but he also, in the process, uh, has written some absolutely terrible, uh, sort of intellectually lazy, completely ridiculous. <laughs> what, really? Yes. Oh, um, my God. And over the weekend, there was a couple of things that are just like gratuitous nonsense that I called him out on, and he didn't care for it. He didn't care for it. And uh, so he wrote a column, I guess, ostensibly about me. Uh, hey, let me just read it because I think this is this really. Yeah, let me just give you here. Josh Holmes, the Mitch McConnell acolyte who defends him with sleek loyalty of Grima warm tongue with a full Windsor, called me the, a dipshit the other day. Wait, re- I, so I've been out of pocket 
typically on weekends, you know, I'm less available. Yeah. Did, did this, this all went down this weekend? It's, well, yeah, he wrote, he wrote the column on Monday, but let me just say, I, I, so I took, I looked at the lead and first off, I'm not a fucking dork. So I had to, I had to Google what Grima warm tongue is. Uh, and it's actually worse than I thought. Do you, do you know what this is? Smug? I don't know. Is that, is that a slur? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a slur now. Is that a slur? It's a Lord of the Rings reference. Is it shit? I feel bad. I should have known that. <laughs> should have known that. Come on. So I could have stopped right there because I listen. I'm not going to take someone who's rolling an 18 sided dice on a Monday. Okay? But it's it's Grima Wormtongue. Is that the name of it? I should have known this. Apologies to my friends at Founder Fund and uh, Peter Thiel. I'll be better about the Lord of, Lord of the Rings. It's you're it's ah, damn. I can't believe I missed that one. <laughs> well, well, you're famous for not reading smug. Yeah. So. Oh, oh, yeah. That's a good point. It sticks with my brand. So, so you got hit with the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, reference? you're also not a total nerd, so I, I can I can understand <laughs> it. Uh, but there's two things here that he did get right in, in that first paragraph. One, I, I did call him a dipshit. That is correct. Oh my god, I, I did I did call him a dipshit. And two, <clears throat> look, I defend McConnell loyally, and everybody knows that who listens to the program. I've, I've been around him for 15 years. It, the the man is like family to me. And I know that that family concept isn't for everybody, but uh, for oh, me, man. I defend my family. Oh, that's a that's brutal. That's a brutal subtweet. <laughs> I, I I mean nothing by I it. I guess they show the call the show ruthless for a reason. <laughs> by it, <laughs> I'm not. I you know I was thinking about going as a, a point by point on all of the sort of idiocy of the column. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I think Duncan, if you're looking for reference as to what a rebuttal would look like, Duncan uh, did this in spades on Twitter. It looked like a napalm bomb in Domino's front yard. Yeah, I mean, I did the reading uh, because Smug refuses to read. Um, I'm like, <laughs> and I appreciate the, you for that. Yeah, I'm like the kid in class that everyone cheats off of right before the homeworks <laughs> do. Uh, so you know, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I did a thread. I mean, my basic uh, thesis here is that, um, you know, people like Ben Dominich will like argue around uh, the problem um, over and over and over again when it's obvious and right in front of our face. Um, I mean, Donald Trump called the election rigged for two months. That's why we lost the Georgia runoffs. Okay, it's as simple as that, you know, and but we can't say that. We can't say the simple truth because Trump has to be absolved of any culpability, any agency whatsoever. The actual literal fucking president of the United States has no influence over any of this stuff in Ben Dominich's world because he'd rather lie to his readers than fucking tell them the truth. Yeah. Here's, here's my question. <clears throat> we get those $2,000 checks. Yeah, let's bring folks. This. Before it's Georgia, been, I think we win that, right? It's yeah, just it, not. Is, it's just complete bullshit. It's just complete. It's it would have been right around bullshit. Christmas. Everyone's got two thousand dollars in their pocket, and they're like, you know what? It's time to but go I, Republican. But I'll remind it's going to be a, a nice Christmas. We're making it rain. Here's the here's my favorite part of here's my favorite part about the two thousand dollar debate. Okay, let me let me accept the insanity. There's no serious political professional that would say that, but but let's accept the insanity and suggest that that did make a big difference. It's still Donald Trump's problem. 
he's the one that inserted it after the correct after the agreement correct. was done. Correct, which is another thing, Holmes, which which the Ben Dominic of the world can't admit that that what Trump actually did with the two thousand dollar checks was blow up a process after the fact because he was pissed because he was pissed that Mitch McConnell acknowledged that Joe Biden won the election. It's as simple as that. It has nothing to do with him really wanting to fight for the working man for $2,000. That's bullshit. And everybody knows it, but nobody will say it. <laughs> okay? You know who will and, say and here's, it? Duncan. And here's the other thing. Um, I don't know. By the time we were having these debates, like 75% of the vote was already in through eight absentee ballots and early voting. Okay. We didn't like lose a bunch of persuadable voters because of the 2000 checks debate. We got the turnout in a lot of places that we needed on election day. I mean, over a million on election day was what a lot of the people watching all of the polling data said we needed to get because we were going to win election day overwhelmingly. You know where we didn't get turnout? North Georgia, where Trump just fucking nuked us with North rigged Georgia. election stuff. They're known for liking $2,000 checks. Oh, come on. You know what else they're known for? Taking buses to get to Washington, D.C. for the insurrection instead of voting on election day. It's just silly on its face. I mean, this is Occam's razor stuff, folks. And the reason why we just can't acknowledge it is people are scared. People like Ben are scared of just telling voters the fucking truth. Yeah. He cost us Georgia. He is responsible for the riot. I don't know ultimately if that's incitement. Like I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer or whatever, but to deny gravity and say he doesn't bear responsibility to spend 5,000 words attacking my business partner and then uh, through some sort of mental gymnastics and denialism, um, not say at all that Donald Trump bears one scintilla of responsibility for where we find ourselves as a party. It's fucking bank. It's fucking bankrupt. It's bankrupt. I think he. And this is the last thing I'll say about this. I think he actually assigned a position to me that I do not hold. Right. I think he. I think he assigned to me the idea that impeachment is a good idea. Right. I. I mean, everybody think it's a good idea. Literally, never ever said that. Right. Yeah. Neither have I. Or suggested it. But anyway, okay. Let's get off of that because the point of the program and this is a big show for this, is to not look backwards. It's to look forward. It's to entertain the new generation of Republican. And we have a big one on today with Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. He is a rock star in the biggest possible way. And we're going to get to that in the final segment. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a hell of a get. Folks, you might remember him from keynoting the RNC. and this so, is a rock star already, not in the making. We got a rock star right here. And it's going to be great having on the show. I've heard great things. Are yeah. we, um, you want to get into the variety program? Let's do a variety program. Yeah, because Ben, Ben, you know, as you recall, maybe from his plug on Fox mentioned specifically the, the game show component uh, of our program. So this uh, is dedicated to Domino. I appreciate it. Hey, man, no hard feelings. Right into the fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So we're doing spot the Dem again, uh, you know, and and for our listeners who who missed the last episode, basically what I do is read four tweets or statements um, from journalists, um, and one of those statements is actually not a journalist; it's a it's a Dem operative. 
Um, and the fellas here have to decide which one is the Dem operative. Can we get the music? The only thing I'm really interested in here is the music. Yeah, moderate Jeff, can you hit us with the with the game show music, please? It's just, it's just fucking slick. I love it. It's nice. It's, it's, it's a good, it gets you in the mood for game show. Yeah, you I'm know what it is? It's, it's a real professional touch for the variety program. Is what it is. <laughs> uh, so, okay. This is, is spot the Dem and it's in particular, the Washington post, columnist edition. Um, and it is specific. And the reason why I wanted to do this is I really wanted to up the ante. Okay. Like make it make it even more difficult because as you know, columnists are people with a lot of opinions. Yeah. Uh, but ostensibly they have some, I don't know, self-respect. Uh, so maybe they would not write these things. Anyway, tweet number one. Here we go. The world is watching, and the Biden administration is not going to appease Russia the way oh. Trump did these last four years. Bear <laughs> emoji, Russia emoji, tree emoji. I know there's a tree. Anyway, that's tweet number one. Wait, uh, did you say bear uh -huh. and tree? A bear, uh, then Russia, and then a tree. Oh, I got some good. Do you want me to talk out any clues there? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> talk about, be, talk about. I mean, if you want to, you guys are in competition, as you may recall. I think, I think we talk it out still. Okay. All right. So, so at the risk of giving away my advantage, mm -hmm. Russia was mentioned and an emoji with a bear and a tree recall to me a Reagan bear in the woods ad. Wow. Oh, wow. Deep cut. And if that is, so we're talking about somebody with, who fancies themselves a historical buff, which would not be a dem operative uh, unless it's like Steve Schmidt, who with his faux <laughs> intellectualism, nice. uh, which would be a nice curveball for this game, actually, if it was Steve Schmidt. That would be a curveball. <laughs> All right. That's it. All right. That's the first one. Okay. 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 All right. On to the second, second tweet here. And, uh, uh, it's a short one, so I'll give you a little context. This this context is um, a um, Biden's COVID response is the context of this statement. Already, it's refreshing to hear the T word, the truth word. <laughs> I didn't know where that was going. I didn't know where that was going either. Yeah. <laughs> other teas in the in the news. Nice I love, to know. I love this. Nice game. to know. We're very mature over here on this program. <laughs> on the program, it's Let's a variety it. program. It's not a mature program. Uh, so that's tweet number two, or it's a statement. That one's just straight up. Is good to hear the T word. Yeah, uh, the truth word. They, These they, people. They had to wind it up. Wind it up with the refreshing part. Anyway, uh, tweet number three. Um, this is in response to, to the Biden inauguration. Thank you. Let's do this again tomorrow. That was an out of body experience. So refreshing transport to another universe, competent, straight shooter, polite. Um, so yeah, that's, that's like the first statement about the first day and the first, um, press, press conference. When the Biden it really is difficult to tell these people apart, these clowns. 
So, so to be clear, there's three operatives, one journo. No, 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 the opposite. No, no, no. Three journos. Unbelievable, Sad. dude. Sad. Uh, here's tweet number four. President Biden's been tougher on Russia the last four days than <laughs> Trump was in four years. You gotta be kidding me. And and, and it has to be said. They what's the name of the activist? Um in Russia that got that got jailed. The one that they Navalny. that Putin tried poisoning. Navalny. Yeah. So 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 this happens while Biden's there. And um who was the woman that was speaking for him? Was it his wife? That on video she was like uh you know surrounded oh, yeah, by reporters and supporters. Captured by the yeah, that, yeah. that that like Russian riot police just like grabbed mid mid-air and just like took her away. I just I all like under it, Biden's watch. It just goes to show, I mean, so much about our news consumption is just absolutely made up. Yeah. You know, how, how anybody could say that. In fact, I mean, maybe that maybe that all right. So so those are our statements. Uh right. is, is, is smug, are you picking first? Yeah, I think um Wait, hold on, you gotta show them your show them your number. I'll turn away. Okay. 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 So you can talk it out now. Um, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. He can I'll he, say. No, he I'll can f- talk. He can talk it out. Oh, okay. Holmes we, can see it. I don't care. We, we had a change. We had he's, a change yeah. of heart. It's what a change up. It's a change up. For the folks at home, for the for the folks at home, Smug uh, just did a little curveball. He initially picked one, like a a one of those four, and then yeah. changed his 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 decision. Yeah, it's a change. So up. now Holmes now Holmes has the up. who wants to be a millionaire ability to talk out his selection yeah. so okay so i i'm pretty sure that one is a journo because that's just like too much historical i really self. appreciated your analysis there yeah that self-congratulations was- four is so over the top and ridiculous that it just doesn't feel like it could come from an operative oh you think it's a red herring you think i'm Taking mm-hmm. you off the set. I just think that if you're an, even if you're a dem operative who's a complete hack, you couldn't. Those words couldn't come out of your mouth. Like you have to be a columnist who doesn't know shit from Shinola in order to utter those words, right? Hmm. So for me, it's between two and three, and I'll be honest. Like I'm gonna go three. Oh, wow! <laughs> Sad for both of you who picked three. That what was happened? Jen Rubin. <laughs> was it really? Yes. Oh, I mean, uh, that's a that's a tough call, though, honestly. Well, she's indistinguishable from a demo operative. Yeah, it's uh, just to, to remind our audience, uh, tweet tweet number three um, that Holmes and Smug both picked here. Thank you. Let's do this again tomorrow. That was an out of body experience. So refreshing transport transportation to another universe. Competent, straight shooter, polite. Unbelievable. Yikes. All right. So, so who's one? Um, uh, James Holman, uh, from the Washington Post. Oh, oh, well. uh, you know what? There, look at my reasoning. He wrote, no, it was a, good. he wrote a Reagan book. That, that was very, oh, wow. That was very smart, Holmes. He uh, wrote a Reagan book. I liked that. Okay. Um, and then I'm impressed. That's pretty fucking impressive, honestly. What's two? Two. Two is from um, a uh, 
an appearance on a different type of program, uh, Reliable Sources, with our friend uh, uh, Brian Stelter. Potato. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, it wasn't him, though. It wasn't. It wasn't him. He. It was. Uh, I'll read it again. Already, it's refreshing to hear the T word, the truth word. That was uh, Karen Atia, a global opinion editor at the Washington Post. Oh my gosh! So it's number four. It is number four. It's number four. That was from Scott Dworkin, who's that dem loser reply guy uh, at Funder. Go ahead, go ahead, open up at, at Funder Twitter. and I'm blocked, but I want to say years, a year or two ago, it was maybe Lachlan at the Daily Beast who, who uh, had an article about how that guy Funder is just like funneling all the money to like himself and his consultancy that like allegedly, they raised. To allegedly. Like, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> that many people are saying. Many people are saying. Inciting so a report, inciting a news report. He cited a news report. Lawyers do not cut this part of the bit. So many, so many folks, man. They're going to be out of a job now that Trump isn't here. Oh, oh my buddy. God, is that That's what a doorbell? Asked. There's a doorbell. Yes, I made. Give me a second, gentlemen. Folks, the the doorbell just rang at Smug's place of residence. Wait, hold on. He's getting up. <laughs> we have to pause the program. This is great. Let's keep rolling. Are we gonna meet? Are we gonna meet the cleaning lady? I hope. I don't know. You know what? With any luck, we can have another guest here on the program, an unanticipated guest on the program. Oh, what do you think, Dugs? This is. I mean, this is. Uh, this is the way news is made live. I appreciate it. Let's do it live, right? Is yeah. She, is she gonna come on the program? <laughs> I think. I think she's gonna. She's gonna do the job that uh, she needs to. So, <laughs> where where are we now, folks? Okay, quick transition. <laughs> not, not even going to entertain it. All right, so that's the end of our game show. Let's play the music. Uh, play us out of the game show. Yes, uh, moderate Jeff. Play that. Play that music. <laughs> All right. So coming back out okay. of this. We, we wanted to do this because we want to get right to it, but we would be remiss if we haven't brought up the fact that COVID politics are rapidly changing, as you might have noticed. And basically just by changing administration and none of the policy, all of a sudden the media, Democratic governors, uh, corresponding public opinion amongst Democrats, everything changes. Yeah. Nothing has changed. We're still at a damn peak in terms of COVID infections, but but if you listen to Democrats, we're done. It's over. Yeah, and I, you know what? This this honestly is one of the things that upsets me the most is these people, these Democrat governors, played politics with people's lives, their health, their livelihoods, all for just it was it was straight up politics. Um, there's this tweet I found about Gavin Newsom specifically. Um, it says, Gavin Newsom lifted California's emergency stay-at-home orders with 50% less ICU beds available now than the day he implemented it. You know, think about that. Think about that. The situation has gotten worse in California, but, oh, you know, now that we got Biden here, hey, it, you know, it, like all those all those jokes that that folks had that like, Oh, you know, as soon as Biden wins, COVID's going to disappear. I mean, it that was cynical 
but the way these dem governors are acting is far more cynical and it, i mean it, 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 it it's inexcusable well it's it, it quite literally is playing politics with people's lives yeah and i mean you've seen the the statistics that you know that we've had in terms of um suicides amongst teens yeah awful um we've you know obviously the economic component with small businesses closing and people becoming more desperate about trying to figure out how to provide for their families. I mean, the idea that somehow this is just purely political with them is so enraging. Like, I, I can't even really wrap my mind around it. I mean, it, 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 it's, it, it was like, a, I want to say it was Lightfoot, the uh, mayor of Chicago, right? Who was like, oh yeah, we need, we need restaurants to reopen. This is like, you know, a week after the election was like, we need restaurants to reopen immediately. You know, the shutdown is over. Not, you know, as, as the scientists or uh, as the Democrats rather were just saying over and over, we listen to the scientists, we're going to follow the science, we're going to follow the science. It's pretty clear they're not. And, you know, the fact that the media ran with that line for them so hard when now, you know, it's obvious and you're not going to have any journalists pointed out, you know, they were, they were team Biden from the beginning and, and they're not going to look like fools now. Well, and it, but how they have framed, it's not just like the Democratic governors, but how we have framed the new debate is something that is you really have to almost admire at how cynical it is. Mm-hmm. So CNN, just a couple of days after uh, President Biden is inaugurated, MJ Lee at CNN puts out a piece. Let me read the leak. Newly sworn in President Joe Biden and his advisors are inheriting no coronavirus vaccine distribution plan to speak of from the Trump administration, sources tell CNN, posing a significant challenge for the new White House. Okay, sure. Oh, is that right? Imagine being that big of a coward that you run for over a year on I have a plan. My name is Mm -hmm. Joe Biden. I'm the responsible person who dealt with past pandemics, and I'm going to set us straight day one. And then you have your administration lie and say there's no plan while we're vaccine vaccinating over a million people a fucking day it's just like delusional so so just to pick up on that credit where it is due there are a couple of reporters who do still have some integrity and a couple of them who have followed this very closely including including i might add uh ruthless super fan dan diamond who who is Shout out because this guy's done some really good work here. This is, let me read a paragraph from the Washington Post over the weekend that speaks directly to this. Even with vaccine shortages and bottlenecks in delivery, the pace needed to meet the new administration's goal, 1 million doses uh, per day, was already achieved Friday (laughs) and four other days of the previous eight, uh, according to Washington Post data. The accelerated speed of the program undercuts assertions by some Biden advisors that they were left no plan by the Trump administration and suggests they need to only keep their feet on the pedal to clear the bar they've set for themselves. I mean, wow, there it is. That's a full takeout like that. That basically takes a CNN article, tears it up, throws it in the trash and lights it on fire. There it is. So, I mean, good work. Good work. Honestly, can we start calling Dan Diamond friend of the pod? (laughs) I I think, you know, I know he listens. He probably, it's probably not great for his career to have us, uh, even when we're saying nice, you things. can't admit he loves harmful. this show and it burns him that his like taskmasters force him 
to push garbage against Republicans. Deep inside <laughs> Dan Diamond, he, he guy, loves the free guy market. Guy writes a good story, Smug goes right to the oppo. Just <laughs> slams the guy. Well, I, I'll just say, this was a very intellectually honest take. And, and it goes to the one piece of audio I want to play here, which is President Biden himself taking the mask off this entire thing and telling you exactly what he's got going on in his administration. Because there's nothing we can do to change the trajectory of the pandemic in the next several months. Okay, so he says there's nothing you can do. Okay, we just okay. Perfect. Now that I we don't can... remember that from the pitch during the campaign, do you yeah. guys? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. He's like, Big okay, folks, remember this. There's yeah. nothing we can do, and all the cars in the parking lot start honking. Yeah, yeah. Nothing we can do. <laughs> nothing, nothing we, we can, can do. do. <laughs> honk, honk, honk. <laughs> nothing we can do. <laughs> yeah. Go get him, Joe. Nothing we can do. And it's, uh, it's, you know, also while I'm dragging Dem governors, it's important to point out uh, Reuters put this out. New York Governor Cuomo said he planned to relax a number of unspecified restrictions in the days ahead, as long as transition, as long as transmission rates there remained low. Let me tell you, folks. Number one, (laughs) transmission rates are not remaining low. But all the Dem governors are just relaxing all the unspecified restrictions. There's going to be a reckoning. I'll tell you what. There's going to be a reckoning, which which takes place, you know, maybe even before we 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 beat COVID, where a lot of these Dem governors are basically, you know, mini kings of their states. They're not having to deal with the legislature. They're not having to go through any sort of a process. It's just these edicts that they're putting out. They're these, you know. It, for all intents and purposes, they're like little dictators of their states deciding what businesses are open, what businesses are closed. Not based on science. Like outdoor dining, Newsom closed it. There's no science to support That's that right. decision. Aren't they? Aren't they opening up partial dining indoors in DC now too? They are. I think it's uh, the restaurants are supposed to be limited to like 25 percent capacity. Let's remember that when Mitch McConnell brought the Senate back in session in you know april and may of last year every reporter was talking about how irresponsible it was and how he had blood on his hands and how dangerous it was there's more daily cases in dc now than there were then that's a perfect that's a perfect juxtaposition i mean that that's totally right i will say and i want to cover this on thursday smug because i think we have more to talk about but your point is absolutely correct and that they have they have created this little fiefdom of socialism Right. Mm -hmm. And if you have watched what the Biden administration has done in their first few days, like we as conservatives cannot spend another second fighting amongst ourselves here. We cannot look backwards. We are as close to socialism and fundamentally changing this country into a Western European country as we have ever been in my lifetime because of COVID. We have gotten to a place where even Republicans are comfortable spending $4 trillion stealing tax dollars out of everybody's pockets and then handing it out to the people who they deem worthy. That, that is socialism, folks. That, that's, what, that's what that is. If we don't wake up and take some of our freedom back peacefully, I might add, it's going to be a really, really different country for us when we finally do figure out how to get power back. So look, and, it's a call. Along those lines, I, I, I got to point out these headlines I dropped the other day. So this is from MSN. The U.S. has suffered the sharpest rise in poverty in 50 years. You know, thank oh. you, Joe Biden. And then I love the, the, the follow-up here. 
is then Forbes had an article where Dr. Fauci is the highest paid person in the federal government. He made $417,608. It's a tough headline. I mean, Fauci, huh? look at that, right? That's a tough. That's that's, a tough. that's another thing is, you know, the, the these public employees, these government people, they haven't missed a paycheck. They don't know what it's like out there. No, absolutely not. And speaking of a guy, I got to hit this before we get to Daniel, the guy who, who also lives on the government dole, uh, who has presided over the absolute destruction of his city is the Portland mayor, uh, Ted Wheeler. <laughs> now, I remember this guy. He essentially just allowed, you know, the Biden riots to go. They're still hogs, going. Non-stop. I don't know. They're if, still I mean, going, right? Yeah. There's still nobody pays attention, but like it's still happening. And terrific Ted out in out in Portland had his own little interaction over the weekend. What happened there? So this is a guy who, as you recall, for nine months has stood down while his police officers and first responders get bats to the head every night right? Trying to protect their city. He's basically just said, you know, look, it's a peaceful demonstration. And they, and they literally burn it down. They literally burn it. Right. <laughs> mostly down peaceful, you know, arsonists. My, my, mostly, <laughs> so this dude goes out to dinner with a buddy and, and he's eating and he's confronted by a maskless patron who's upset that the mayor himself is not wearing a mask. The writing's not terrific in this piece. So it's it's hard to decipher exactly how this interaction happened. But the mayor, when receiving his constituent, uh, decided to warn him that he, in fact, armed himself with pepper spray and would not hesitate to use it. What happens next? Undeterred, the patron continues. <laughs> but that's that's where the last laugh happens because old Wheeler whips out the paper sp- pepper spray and does exactly what he said he'd do. He sprays him right in the eyes. The mayor sprayed the guy down, right? Hits him right in the eyes. <laughs> and it, his quote is, is, is that, I sprayed him right in the eyes. It's like, here you go. <laughs> He's like, no deterrent. Right, right. No- <laughs> My, what I love here, Holmes, what I love here, Holmes, is, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of people like, like old Ted who uh, like to play Monday morning quarterback on – are the police using ex- excessive force? But when it comes to his ass, when his ass is on the line, preemptive strike, immediate oh, yeah. preemptive strike. I'll, I'll tell you what, man. Like, I, I personally, I commend a guy. <laughs> Good job, Mayor Wheeler. If I'm dining and, and someone shouts at me for any purpose, if I've got pepper spray, it's hitting their eyes. <laughs> I'm trying to have a nice meal, and someone starts shouting. I think if it's like above, you know, if, if there's voices above, like room level. Every diner is well within their rights. Hit him with the open fire. Spray. Yeah. yeah. Justice you, begins with each of us. You know. Would you ask? You Smart, ask would you? Would, would you? Would you pepper spray a child? In yeah, a, I mean, listen. If because I know your opinion of children quiet, who are who are ill behaved. He doesn't. Yeah. I think. I think the thing is, you take a child into public, and now public justice applies to the child. Like wow. if it's screaming and wild, it's up to every parent to to teach the child how to behave in public. I'll tell you what. When I was growing up, uh. Uh-uh. The quiet, quiet as a whisper when we were out in public. Kids these days, though, running amok. Yeah. So, so yeah. just so you know, if I'm in Philomena and some like toddlers running around screaming their head off. You better believe it. if there's pepper spray on me, the child's catching it. Unbelievable. <laughs> you give Smug some bad specials, you're getting hit with the pepper spray. <laughs> That's good to know. All right. All right. <laughs> 
Well, look, we got to turn to this because this is a very, very, very big interview. We're absolutely privileged and honored that Daniel Cameron, the Kentucky Attorney General, has joined us on the program. He is a big fan, he added, and uh, and so is uh, many of his friends who've been urging him to come on. So this is this is awesome. Let's take a listen. All right. So welcome, my good friend, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. Thank you so much for coming on the program, my man. I am so glad to be here, Josh, and uh, this is a, a big moment. Uh, I've got a buddy uh, of mine uh, who has been uh, pining for me to be on this, this show for a little while, so I, I'm glad I'm uh, finally getting on so he can tell all his friends that I've, I've made it on the Ruthless Podcast, so I'm happy to be here, brother. I mean, your, your buddy is a man of high esteem, I'm sure, but that says something because there's a line around the block trying to get you on programs these days. Oh, You're yeah, a big star now. Line. Now this is a uh, look. I've I've known you, of course, for a long time, and uh, have gotten to know your your sidekick a little bit as well, and uh, your partner in crime. And and uh, you all uh, put out some great content. I I was reminded. I was listening to uh, I guess the the Tom Cotton interview uh, uh, a few weeks ago, and he was mentioning the fact that uh, he was a big Tony Kornheiser fan as well. And I put this podcast right up there with uh, the Tony Kornheiser podcast. There we go. So all right. <laughs> Moving on up. I love it. Well, one of the things that we're doing here in 2021 is a conversation I think a lot of Republicans are having sort of at their dinner table and around Lincoln Day dinners and things. And it's kind of like the future of the party and what that looks like. And, you know, I, I gotta be honest, I'm surrounded with a, a group of friends that every time we think about what the future of the Republican Party looks like and sounds like a big smiling picture of Daniel Cameron occurs to us immediately. Uh, and and I, I thought, who better to start this process with uh, than bringing you in? You're too kind, and obviously, I, I don't uh, I, I don't uh, know if I deserve that sort of uh, talk or, or what have you. But I, I am, you know, obviously glad to be here on this on the on the show and uh, to talk about um, you know the future of the Republican Party and what it looks like, and uh, uh, you know how. Perhaps we all collectively, as as young Republicans, can can be involved in in shaping its future. So, so for our listeners who aren't as familiar with you, Daniel, you were elected Attorney General of Kentucky in uh, 2019, um, first African American statewide official elected in Kentucky. Um, man, I, all of us who had a part in, in watching your campaign were just supremely impressed at how you put that thing together, ran on the issues and really vaulted to the top there. But, but, you know, it was only like six months later and all of a sudden you're headlining the RNC. You know, it has been a, um, I, I would say 2020 was a surreal uh, <laughs> in many ways. And, you know, there were, obviously there were peaks uh, and there were some valleys, the peak uh, being uh, the RNC speech and having the opportunity to, to advocate for the principles that I hold as it relates to the Republican Party and, and why I was attracted to the Republican Party and why that has uh, been sort of the root of my, my family and, and small government and small community and how those all blend with the Republican Party and, and this great lineage we have from uh, from Abraham Lincoln. And, and so it was it was an honor to be able to speak there. And of course, you, you know, you just you don't want to make a, a fool of yourself. But, uh, so I was. <laughs> to have gotten off that stage without making any serious blunders but it was a it was it was a, a great opportunity to 
to just talk about what the Republican Party can look like going forward and uh, how the, the values that we all hold dear and the ones that we talk about in our small communities around the dinner table uh, are so important to our future. And uh, I think it's important. Look, you know, we just came out of a pretty contentious election year, uh, but it's important for us to have a, uh, a vision that we can give to the country of a, a Republican Party that smiles and, 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 and uh, is gracious in, in how we communicate with each other and, and strike a civil tone, but know that there are going to be some serious disagreements that we have with the folks on the other side of the aisle, uh, but we can do it in a respectful manner and, and we can uh, beat uh, people in terms of uh, our, our ideology, if you will, as opposed to, to other uh, various means. So I'm, I'm excited and uh, thanks for allowing me an opportunity to to talk a little bit about yeah, the, you know the the one uh, obvious takeaway from your speech at the RNC, which was, man, he is. I've never seen a guy so nicely stick the knife in deeper uh, than Daniel Cameron. I mean, you you were you were pleasant, smiling, uh, just engaging as all get out in a way that you know those of us who know you obviously have come to appreciate. But I think for a whole bunch of people who didn't know you before, we're like, wow, this is a really nice guy. Meanwhile, he's laying down just the most absolutely incredible critiques of Joe Biden at the time, which, you know, of course, were all entirely factual. But but I think you're right. I mean, you just made a made reference to being able to express ourselves in a way that doesn't automatically sort of make us the enemy to half the country. That's right. And uh, look, I, I think if you can, uh, you know, the old adage, killing them with kindness, I, I think is really uh, something that we should take to heart in terms of uh, the, the political arena and the public sphere. And so I've tried in the way that I convey our messages, you know, here in the AG's office or as my time as attorney general, uh, we're, we're about defending and promoting the rule of law, standing up for constitutional rights. And we've had a, an occasion or two to sort of push back against the governor on some of his COVID-19 restrictions and uh, the, the conversation around what is what does executive power look like during the midst of COVID-19? And so we've had that conversation, but we've had it uh, in a civil tone. And, and I, I try to keep a smile on my face regardless of the situation. I've obviously had some, uh, we've had some challenges here uh, in the Commonwealth here over 2020. And like I, I tell people all the time, you never know what's gonna come around the bend, but uh, it's important that you represent yourself, your family, uh, and, and frankly, the Commonwealth in a way uh, that's one, relatable, uh, but two, shows compassion and, and empathy for the folks that are around you. We talk a lot about the responsibility uh, to speak for the, the voiceless, uh, to speak for the vulnerable. Uh, and I think that's, uh, that, that is consistent and aligned with not only the roles of Attorney General, but also the role uh, and the values of the Republican Party. Again, I talk a lot about Lincoln and Eisenhower um, and uh, the responsibility that they had in governing and keeping this country together in some contentious moments. Uh, and you look at the, the Reagan always talking about that shining, uh, shining city on a hill. Uh, those are the, uh, and even look, George H.W. Uh, Bush talking about uh, the points of light and refer referencing uh, compassionate conservatism uh, that extended to his son's time in office. And so there's been a strain of that in the Republican party. I think we just need to, as we move forward, uh, talk more about that. Uh, again, not not at all sort of uh, moving past our values. We've got to stand firm on our values, but we can do it in a way uh, 
uh, or with a smile on our face. Well, that you know, that's I'm glad you bring that up because I think the one thing that stands out for those of us who knew you before your public service and and were wondering basically how that translates in a day to day political job because you know we know you personally, but when you're under the hot lights, you know, different people go in different ways. And I've been doing a lot of sweating here. Uh, <laughs> it's hard not to, but but I. <laughs> I, the one thing I've been consistently impressed by, and I think that's a part of that with what you just said to us a minute ago, is that you focused on sort of timeless principles, things like life issues, things like liberty with COVID-19 restrictions, your ability to make a living, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Turns out those are pretty important words for that guide, guide this country. And, and you have really uh, laid a, a foundation in some, some timeless conservative principles and largely avoided kind of the political winds of the day. Is that, is that kind of where you see your message to the Republican Party? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, standing on principle is important. I, I sort of take a, uh, a look at uh, a re, the, my, my Republican values as sort of a homespun conservatism. And I think of the way of, you know, if I was, I grew up in, Elizabethtown, E-Town for short, Hardin County, you know, small community, uh, you know everybody in the community and, and you can you see them on the street and you say hello to them. That's, in my judgment, homespun, small town conservatism where you take care of your family, uh, you take care of your, your folks at church, uh, and then it kind of spreads out from there, meaning, you know, that's where the root of, of our culture and our values come from. And, and when somebody needs a lending, you know, a hand up or a, a lending hand or, or help, they don't go to, you know, quote unquote, big government, they go to their local church or they go to their local nonprofit or, or other civic, civically minded organizations, uh, as opposed to, to going to, to government as a first resort, that being a last resort, obviously government has to play a role uh, in our society, but it's a last resort. I think that's how most folks in small communities all across this country think uh, about the role that they play in, in, in society and, and, and in their community. And so I've tried to embody that in the AG's office of, of staying in our lane, making sure that we're standing up for the rule of law, we're standing up for constitutional rights. Obviously, again, that became a, a big issue and topic in 2020, continues to be a, a huge topic now uh, because of COVID-19 and some of the the onerous restrictions we saw play on folks um, through our governors. And, I, and I've said from the beginning, look, you try to do this with a, a smile on your face. I take, uh, there's no animus in any of the de decision-making process that we make in the AG's office when we're standing up for constitutional rights. I understand that governors um, have a huge responsibility in keeping people safe, but the number one job of an attorney general, and I think uh, conservatives realize and, and recognize this, and frankly, people, uh, of all political stripes, I hope can appreciate this, that we have to stand up for the constitutional rights of our citizens. Uh, and I think we've been attempting to strike the right balance here in Kentucky. And I know other states that have uh, attorneys general who view these issues in the same way that I do have tried to stand up and, 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 and fight that good fight as well. But it's not because of any uh, you know, any, in any way to toot my own horn or, or toot the horn of our office. It's simply uh, to promote the values of our citizens. And uh, I think that that's the responsible thing to do in, in, in government. And uh, we're going to continue to do that.
Well, one of the things that um, you just mentioned that is clearly a big topic of conversation is we're dealing with COVID and vaccines and, you know, this winter and new spikes and all that is that governance if, is, you know, lockdowns and, and, and you've been pretty outspoken both officially and just rhetorically about how you view all that. I'm, I'm assuming a lot of that is based on your upbringing as a child of small business. I, your family owned a coffee shop, isn't that right? That's exactly right. And I was probably making lattes and cappuccinos at a far too early of an age, but they, <laughs> yeah. they humored me by allowing me to do it. And I, and I think there's probably a lot of customers that were probably spitting out lattes and cappuccinos once they left the store. But again, in a, an effort to humor me, they allowed me to make them. But yeah, no, you're, look, my parents uh, owned a small business uh, and uh, it's called Zach's Coffee. And, you know, every day I, I saw my parents would leave the shop and, you know, I saw the struggles the real struggles of owning a small business. And, and you, you know, your, your listeners know, um, you know, the margins in, in restaurants and, and coffee shops and, and all really, frankly, small businesses uh, are, are extremely slim. Or, um, and so uh, when you have a response uh, to a pandemic, which look, uh, this, this is serious and we need to take it as such and social distancing is impor uh, important and mask wearing is important. Uh, but when you have decisions that are being made uh, by government officials, uh, and then those government officials aren't necessarily um, having to contend with those restrictions in the same way, say, a business owner has to or, or somebody that's been furloughed or been laid off, um, you know, it, 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 you see the, um, the friction that that causes because people are having to, to leave their jobs, having to shut down their businesses. Uh, and then, frankly, government people still get their paychecks. And, and so that is um, something that I've tried uh, to, uh, to, to really focus on and, and, you know, step out of my position as attorney general and, and government employee, uh, but really step and recall those experiences my parents had as small businesses and know uh, those, those experiences uh, are being felt uh, and, and the impact is being felt by folks all across this country. And so to the extent we can do anything uh, to get business moving again, to get small businesses open again, uh, we need to be in the business of doing that, doing it safely. Uh, and I'm, I'm obviously glad to see that the uh, vaccinations have come online. And look, my, my wife is a, a school teacher and got her first uh, shot uh, on Friday. And so look, I'm, you know, in the camp that says, you know, if you, you can get the vaccine, uh, you know, that's, go ahead and get it. And so anything that can help, you know, get business going again and uh, get, get our economy and get our society back up and running, I'm, I'm for, and uh, I'm hoping that governors will, will start uh, making some wise decisions and start listening to and taking in the input uh, of citizens all across our, our respective states. Are you concerned, because you're, you're someone who travels the Commonwealth a lot, and you know what I tell people about Kentucky is it's got a little bit of everything, right? It's a microcosm of, of America, and, and you get a little bit of everything. You meet all kinds of different great people. But uh, the one thing it's always taught me is you, you can really get perspective that you just can't get anywhere else just by out, going out and talking to people. And one of the things that I came away with in the 2020 cycle was I don't think we've really appreciated how badly this pandemic has separated the haves from the have-nots and the ability of people to make a living in, you know, sort of an old economy versus a new economy and, and this complete disconnect 
by the American yeah. political class in a lot of ways about what's happening to an awful lot of Americans. I, I wonder if you can speak to that. Yeah, look, I, I think you're exactly right. We've, we've made it a policy here over the last few months to try to, to get out of the office, myself in particular, uh, at least once a week and, and travel, again, safely uh, to one of our 120 counties each, each, uh, each week. I was just in uh, Nicholas County uh, last week and, and Clark County as well, uh, having those conversations because you can sit here in Frankfurt and become completely uh, desensitized and detached from what's going on in the remaining 119 counties and not really know uh, how the decisions that you make here in our state capital impact folks all across Kentucky. You know, look, I talked about the small business or the folks that are on the, you know, at factories and, and they've been furloughed or, or cut back because of, of some of the decisions that are made here in Frankfurt. That is, um, again, in, in my judgment, a, a, a pretty brazen demonstration of sort of the, the lack of awareness about what goes on on a daily basis in communities all across Kentucky. And I think our, our, one of the reasons that I've tried to get out uh, at least once a week is to have these conversations. And I think it's important for all of our elected leadership, uh, especially our statewide elected officials to really go out, uh, again, do it safely, but go out, have conversations, see how the decisions that are being made are impacting folks. Uh, I think that helps in the decision-making process uh, because you're not just listening to a, a, a group of advisors uh, in your, 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 your room or in your office, uh, but you're taking in the input of, of uh, folks all across Kentucky. And look, we've had uh, big challenges here uh, when it, as it relates to unemployment benefits and our unemployment insurance um, uh, roles have, have been backed up because of some um, some overwhelming of the system and people have had difficulty getting their benefits. Uh, and so those extra pressures on the system are all there because people, again, are not able to go out and provide for their families in the traditional way uh, that they've been able to do prior to this pandemic. So again, as decision makers and policy makers, uh, when we make decisions for our communities uh, and, and for our counties, we've got to be uh, empathetic to what the plight of you know everyday folks is um, and again yeah. i always try to think of you know my my hometown of hardin county uh, in the decision making process uh, when we are you know sort of deliberating about next steps in the ag's office um, it is um, it is a challenge and i admit freely that it is a challenge um, but we've got to again stand up for the rule of law stand up for our constitution uh, and have empathy for those uh, perhaps that don't have uh, government paychecks that they can rely on. Uh, yeah. Every, every, here, uh, here, here. I, I'm all for that. I got, I, I got to let our listeners in on a little funny story before we get to our questions here, Daniel. And um, so the backstory is I was in attendance at the yeah. moment that you met President Trump. And <laughs> ah. And I, I will say, you know, having had the privilege of going into the Oval Office on several occasions uh, and meeting with President Trump and other presidents, I, I have never seen a president clear his calendar and, and clear the room faster than President Trump did when Daniel Cameron walked in. Was that surreal or what? You know, there is uh, obviously a, just a sense of wonder when you walk into the <laughs> Oval Office and... Uh, you see the, the president of the United States uh, sitting behind the resolute desk and, and standing up to greet you. Um, 
And uh, yeah, it, it was an uh, amazing experience. I've, I've had an, uh, a couple of occasions to, to go back to the White House and one other occasion to be back in the, the Oval Office. And it, it was uh, equally amazing, but nothing really, that first time you walk into that room uh, and you, you, you get the sense, the overwhelming sense of uh, the decisions that have made, been made there and the presence of all the, the, the folks that have served um, in that role. And it's a, it was a unique experience and uh, it's one that I, I, show, I, I certainly won't forget. <laughs> so so I, I, we expected to come in, have the president shake your hand, introduce yourself, you know, maybe a word or two. We'll take a couple pictures and, you know, just an introduction, basically, oh. right? That's where I thought this thing was headed. Oh. The next thing I know, I'm standing there. Daniel's got the chair pulled up at the Resolute desk. They're having policy discussions. It's like, you're like nine questions deep. Before I know it, you're talking about ASAP Rocky. Uh, well, that's what I was getting ready to say. Uh, you know, when Jared Kushner comes in with a, a document uh, that has got... Uh, uh, ASAP Rocky's name on there and uh, you know it's like it, it, is this real like am I really at the White House right now am I engaged in this conversation uh, and so it, it was uh, it was an experience and a half I, I mean did, I, you, I still, did you have any any idea who ASAP Rocky was before that conversation I didn't know who ASAP Rocky was but the, 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 the most incredible part about that conversation is and this I think is telling of, of the White House is you know, they look, they engage people uh, from all walks of life and uh, did a good job of, of bringing in different views and viewpoints. And I remember Jared looking over at me and, and this document in particular, and he says, Daniel, now, look, I, I had known Jared more than uh, 10 minutes, but Jared looks over at me and says, Daniel, what do you think about this? And I said, well, it looks good to me. Uh, and so, <laughs> But I, I think that's the part of the, the that folks, you know, didn't really realize about this this previous administration is that they really cared about. Look, I'm a kid from Hardin County, Kentucky. Uh, the fact that Jared Kushner would ask me a question uh, on a public policy issue uh, is just it it is it is beyond my comprehension that I had that experience. I'm grateful for it, uh, and but it it is a uh, it is something that I'm I'm certainly going to tell my grandchildren. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm going to tell my grandchildren about it. And I was just standing there. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I had to share that one. But we've got three big questions for you, Daniel. And I, I hope you've you've listened to the program enough to know how serious these things are. Very. <laughs> First question is your last meal on earth. What is it? Well, I got married last summer, and my wife, Mackenzie, makes the most amazing chicken pot pie I've ever had in my life. And, I, and I'm going to be honest with you, the, the, the other best chicken pot pie I've had was at Cracker Barrel. And so I am, this, this thing is blowing me out of the water. If I'm having a last meal, it's that chicken pot pie that Mackenzie Cameron makes. So, so, so here's the deal. The guy's married so recently that his last meal is still from his wife. I love it. I love it. You're a romantic, sir. Right. <laughs> All right. So if you weren't in politics, Daniel, what would you be doing with your life? I tell you what, I would have been calling uh, that game yesterday uh, between yes. the Buccaneers uh, and, and Green Bay. I mean, I, you know, if I could if I could have a, a job in the sports industry, of course, you know, I, I played football at UofL and I tell people all the time, really what it was, was the best seat in the house because I spent a lot of time on the bench uh, rooting for other folks that were a lot more talented than I was. But if I could do something in the sports industry, uh, calling games or, or, or helping coach or something, that would, uh, 
that would be the, the second career that I choose. So you were, just to recap, you were a D-back, right? Safety? Uh, yeah, I, I was a safety. That's exactly right. I was a, a very slow and small safety. So I, uh, <laughs> but and you, I played so, with some, yeah. You played on that, on that Orange Bowl team, right? So we, that, the, the, over three years, we went to uh, the Liberty Bowl and won that. We went to the Gator Bowl uh, and lost that. And then sort of the, the, the top uh, of, of that period at, at UofL football was a win in the Orange Bowl uh, against uh, Wake Forest. But it was, a, uh, it was a phenomenal experience. And, you know, you look, you learn the value of hard work and, and all those things. But uh, to say I played a lot would be generous. And uh, I, I was more of a tackling dummy and a scout team player more than anything else. So. <laughs> well, you figured out how to excel beyond that. Uh, here's question number three, and this is really where the, the money's made here, Daniel. This is, this is a big one for all the minions. And the, the question is, what is a greater motivator for you, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? I tell you what, um, I've gone vacillated. I've gone back and forth over this so many times. And uh, I'm going to say the thrill of victory uh, and, you know, getting the opportunity uh, to having just come out of uh, a campaign in, in 2019 and, and seeing everybody that came together to help in that uh, historic race um, was really neat. And there were a lot of tears shed, tears of joy uh, and just the idea that we'd be able to do a lot of great things uh, together. And so I'm going to say the thrill of victory. Ever the optimist, ever the glass half full, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron, thank you so much for joining us on Ruthless. All right, Josh, thanks. And tell your uh, partner I said hello. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do. So is he just like the best or what? Fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, Absolute superstar. Incredible I guy. I just don't know how you don't see him as, as on a rocket ship to the top of a national political rankings. I mean, this is, he's got everything. He's, he's got values to his core. He is as, as dynamic a speaker as we have in the Republican Party. And he's good at politics. I mean, those three things, boy, he can take you a long way. He was on my radar, but that just, that really solidifies it. Yeah. You know? Total stud. Someone Total to stud. watch. So we're going to we're gonna do more of this. We're going to keep bringing in voices to talk about the future of the Republican Party. We're going to do less backward-looking stuff, more forward-looking stuff, because I know you enjoy it. I know we enjoy it. And we can all agree that we need to get back into power soon. Well, that was another fantastic episode, gentlemen. That's another good one. That's, that's right for the can. Let's, uh, so let's, let's wrap this one up. So until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. Stay ruthless. We'll catch you on Thursday.